0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member WSO Mentor shares his path from a vault bracket investment bank to a middle market private equity firm, what he wishes he did for private equity recruiting, some unexpected advice on which investment banks to target, and whether or not he'll get an MBA. Enjoy. WSO Mentor, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yes, happy to be here. Awesome, man. So it'd be great if you could start off with just a quick summary of your background.
1: Sure. So uh, I grew up in the tri-state area, went to a target school within the realm of Wall Street, but, you know, think along the lines of a Duke uh, Boston College, Wake Forest type school, not an Ivy League, uh, but but still, you know, really strong connections to the street, which made the recruiting process, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, fairly straightforward uh, for better or for worse. Um, I uh, got a summer internship in the investment banking group at Barclays in New York, uh, interned there in one of the coverage or MA groups, um, accepted my full time offer to return. So uh, uh, post-college, I did about a year and change uh, at Barclays uh, before leaving to a middle market uh, private equity firm, also based in the New York area where I've been uh, for about three years now.
0: Great. And then maybe we could just start off kind of rewinding back to your college days and the recruiting there for the investment banking. Could you give me a little bit about how what the process was like, obviously, you know, you don't have to go into too many details about the school, but was there a lot of on-campus recruiting and how did a, how did that play out? Did you get a, a high hit rate on like resume drops or how did that all proceed?
1: Sure. So I'll I'll, I'll kind of start high level and then get a bit more more granular as we progress. So um, when I said earlier that the process was fairly streamlined, what I mean was um, most of the bulge bracket investment banks, right? The, the six or seven of them, depending on how you define it, and um, middle market banks from you know the elite boutiques like the Lazard, Evercore, Mollis banks, all the way to like Jefferies, Ullahen, Loki, Baird, William Blair banks like that. So very wide uh, spread uh, coverage representation at uh, the school in which I attended from my undergrad. Um, they this is back in the day when the timelines were not uh, accelerated. And mm-hmm. so investment banking recruiting typically happened um, at, at, at the undergraduate level when a student was a junior. So in the fall semester of junior year for my school and and, and my process, most of the banks um, had a presence on campus, had a relationship with the Career Center. So they'd host, you know, firm-wide information sessions, networking events at the local Boston offices to the extent they had them, plus in New York, think of like a Wall Street Trek type program, which you guys may be familiar with. Yeah. Um, that happened in the fall, all the networking happened in the fall, go home for winter break, come back. And then most of the investment banks, uh, start the formal recruiting process then, which, because we were a core school was all held on campus for the most part. I very rarely had to trek to New York for super days, which was uh, convenient.
0: That's great. And so in terms of, um, the number of firms that were, at your school is it safe to say that around 20 investment banks or upwards of 30 were, were there kind
1: yeah of- i mean what was kind of nice too is some some banks that were really small and boutique like say for example like leering partners which is like a boutique focused healthcare investment bank mm-hmm. um sometimes they don't have the time or resources to actually have a presence on campus but they'd had they'd you know have a resume drop on our school portal because they'd previously recruited a couple analysts from our school and so they wanted to keep that trend going and so you could apply there so if i had to sum it up yeah i mean it was it was probably between 20 and 30 banks that recruited directly on campus
0: and can you tell okay did her. you did you drop uh, resumes for all of those or did you kind of were you more targeted no
1: i no so good question i was primarily focused on bulge bracket mm-hmm. um so i pretty much spent most of my time there
0: is there a reason for that like you had a you just wanted to be kind of at the yeah level. yeah
1: yeah. It's actually it's actually quite interesting and something that I uh, think about even now to this day. So, um, you know, going through undergrad, the mentality around some of the really strong elite boutiques, which boutiques aren't even the right word because they're really large, really successful, like you know your your Evercore, molus Lazars of the world. Right. Um, the mentality was that kind of bold bracket was brand name and the best because they did coverage in M&A and they had a balance sheet. So they were doing capital markets, ECM, DCM, less in things like that. Uh, You'd get a really broad array of advisory services at your disposal. You'd understand both coverage and capital markets. They were big time names in New York. That was kind of the thing to do. Um, So that's where I spent most of my time recruiting. Now, looking back now that I'm, you know, a couple of years removed in private equity, I actually wish that I spent more time learning about, the middle market and boutique investment banks, where I think analysts do get a really strong, um, you know, experience there because they deal a lot with private equity sponsors. They work on a ton of sell sides between private companies. They work closely with management teams and boards, and they, you know, really get to be in the weeds, have a long leash, and a lot of responsibilities. Whereas I was one of one seventy at Barclays in my analyst class.
0: So I was you put really into a mean- coverage group where. You really think that 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 answer, that typical answer in the interview of like, why do you want to be at this middle market bank? And the person says, you know, the analyst experience, you know, they get much hands on. You think that's an actually, that's true. You'd say that's.
1: I I do because I spent a lot of time. Uh, I did close a deal while I was there, but I did spend a lot of time pitching. And just by the nature of bulge bracket banks, right, you're dealing a lot of you're, you're dealing with a lot of public strategic companies, right? Where all the investment bankers at you know Goldman, Barclays, Merrill, Morgan Stanley, right, City, all those banks, they're trying to get these large, sexy, you know, public strategic to strategic M and A deals worth multi billion dollars in enterprise value, collect really large fees at once. So by nature of that way of investment banking, where it's not as much of a volume shop, but you're sort of elephant hunting and right. working with the large strategic companies that move a little slower there's less deal uh there's fewer deals to go around and i think when you're working with private companies which most of the middle markets do and you know with founder-owned businesses and private equity firms you get a lot more in the weeds on the transaction side where i was doing a lot of pitches not going to a lot of meetings and and didn't get as you know in depth of an experience i didn't understand um the transaction experience from like legal docs uh all the phases of diligence it it, but do you think do do you think that that, was like
0: do you think that was more just a function of the group you were in and your experience, you were like, What no, percentage of the no. analysts do you think were had similar experiences to you versus the analysts that had just happened to get lucky and get like three live deals under their belt or three close? Well, yeah, I
1: deal. mean, I mean, that's a great point, right? So, yes, there are. I closed the deal, the mm-hmm. bank the, and the group were really strong, and they were closing a lot of deals. It's just the the nature of the work as an analyst, and there's an associate of VP, a director, and an MD on every single deal. The analyst, and sometimes there's even two analysts on a deal. The analyst. At the bottom, right, when I was a first year analyst, I was at the bottom, uh, I had less response I had fewer responsibilities than if you were an analyst at like a little Loki, Evercore, where they're kind of doing a lot more.
0: Right. So you you weren't touching the modeling as often, that type of stuff. It was not um, as often, correct. Right. Got it. that makes sense. And so in terms of just so back to the recruiting for a little bit, um, you're doing, you know, you're dropping, you know, kind of focused on the bulge bracket. And were you just confident that you were going to get that? Because, th- you know, those are some of the more competitive banks, obviously. Were you just, you felt that you would get enough interviews or you had the resume drops were early enough that you knew you were landing interviews that you didn't bother to, to dr- resume drop at the smaller firms? Like well, what what all gave, gave, done wh- through the
1: school. Well, because it was all done through the school and because our school had really strong relationships, mm-hmm. there was a dedicated number of spots that in each kind of analyst class at a lot of these large banks that
0: our school was guaranteed but isn't so, it still yeah. like super, aren't the odds still against you? Like there's other kids at your school that had high GPAs and probably, you know, were good at networking or you just, you had the confidence that like, I'm going to land it a BB offer.
1: Uh, yes, I did.
0: Okay. Okay. And that was just because you had been prepping or you kind of knew the landscape well enough. You felt like you were, proud, you were I was ready to prepping.
1: Go. I had good internships. I networked well. I, I, I thought I had a leg up. I knew the landscape. Yeah. It's probably a combination of all of the above. Okay.
0: That's fair. That's fair. And then, so you start landing the interviews. Um, how many of those bulge bracket interviews did you like those first rounds? Did you end up?
1: Uh, I had first rounds at all of them except credit Suisse.
0: Okay. And then from there, uh, approximately, you know, you said a lot of the super days were on campus which really convenient. Did you just move straight into super days? Was it like, you know, the next day, a second round, like what was, what was the typical kind of structure? Of
1: what this? was the format?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. So, uh, typically it'd be a first round interview, which was what they, uh, or, or I shouldn't say first round interview. I should just say a first round process mm-hmm. where they'd have you meet with, uh, probably one VP for a half hour interview. And then another, uh, either MD or director for half an hour. Yep. So the associates and analysts are not interviewing at the bulls racket banks at the smaller banks. They absolutely do participate in the interview mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got selected to the next phase, it would probably be the next day, um, where you'd have kind of three or four interviews with both people that, att- that were alumni of your school who were on campus. Plus they had other people there like ready for the interviews because they were doing all the interviews at, at in kind of one stretch on campus. Yep. Um, And so you'd have three to five more half hour interviews. And the last one would usually be with, uh, kind of the, the most senior banker that was participating in my school's interview process. And then, uh, you'd hope to hear about your offer in the next couple of days. So it was fairly quick.
0: Wow. That's really streamlined. So in, in terms of the cutoff from first to second round, what, you know, let's say it's, let's say they do 50 first round interviews. Approximately how many people would make it to the kind of more intense second day, would you say?
1: Uh, It was probably more like 30 first round interviews Mm -hmm. um, and maybe uh, a little less than 50% would make it to the next day. And then they'd hope to give like eight to 10 offers.
0: Got it. And since it's a bulge bracket, they probably get pretty good yield, I'm assuming. Um, from that. Uh, Well,
1: yeah, but all the Bulls backers are competing with each other. That's true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. So, okay. That's great. So thank you for, for that. I guess let's, let's talk a little bit more about your time at Barclays. So you're, you kind of, or you, you get the internship, right? That's for the internship recruiting, right? You go through that summer. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, before you, you know, your senior year, what, um, specifically, I assume you got a return offer, right? Um, and so was that, was that pretty much across the board everyone got the return offer or was it like yeah the
1: return offer rated my class of like mid to high 90s percentage wise
0: got it okay and then um from there so that was pretty much you know once you kind of pass that initial junior year recruiting you're kind of you're almost set right as long as you don't really mess up over the summer so
1: yeah the the, the internship probably yours to lose
0: Got it. Offer. got it okay and so you get the full-time offer makes senior year awesome i assume makes it much yes. much less stressful and then can you tell me a little bit about how you kind of prepared yourself if at all for kind of banking and then kind of what your expectations were before going in and then what they what reality was
1: yeah um i mean look there were definitely a lot of kids who chose a route where they would you know try to learn Bloomberg and CapIQ and FactSet on their own and try to get ahead of the game and kind of read as much as they could. I mean, I was in undergraduate business school, so I felt like I had a good finance and accounting framework at least to succeed during the internship and that, you know, the training and resources from, you know, leveraging the other analysts and stuff would kind of help me on the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just to clarify, you're you're asking about the internship versus the full-time.
0: No, at this what time, the, no, was, the, sort of. the full-time now, like you're, you're, you've graduated, you know, you have a great yeah. senior year and then you kind of come in full-time, you've done the internships, you have a little bit of a, a flavor of what the day-to-day is like, but then how was it different, I guess, from the, from the internship to the,
1: yeah. Um, the full time, you know, there was definitely, uh, you were tasked with more responsibilities. You, you, uh, had to, you know, stay much later. The hours were longer. You had to, uh um, be responsible for work and you couldn't really hide and say you know i'm I'm the intern like what do i know and you kind of had to like take ownership of your work right um so that was probably a key difference i mean other than that i mean i came back to the same group that i interned in, and i knew all the people and you know it was a little bit more like i kind of understood and knew what i was getting into there was no culture shock if that's what you're getting at
0: yeah and then in terms of like the hours where you would say 80 on average you know fluctuating from 70 to 90 or is something different No, that's probably about right. About right, yeah. Um,
1: And obviously, if it was like really bad, I mean, yeah, I've I've definitely pulled like one or 200 hour weeks for sure. Yeah, not fun.
0: (laughs) I remember those days. (laughs) Not fondly. Anyways, so you're you're at the desk. You're how many months in before you start hearing from recruiters for private equity?
1: Uh, Well, let's see. I started on the desk like, say, August 15th, and Mm -hmm. I started getting the uh, headhunter recruiter emails for private equity and hedge funds uh, in
0: mid-October that's insane so okay and this was several years ago so so it's it's even yeah it's well it's similar the processes are still kicking off even earlier um so I don't even know when the recruit I guess the recruiters now are just probably contacting people as soon as they get the (laughs) offer but anyways pretty much yeah so you so you started hearing from headhunters was it like uh was it a process where all the analysts were kind of sharing information. Was it collegial? Was it more like competitive? And then what did, how did you kind of treat those initial interviews with the recruiters? Were you kind of smart enough to go in it as like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to say and treating them as interviews or were you kind of just still feeling it out?
1: Sure. Um, So I'd say that my group was very lucky because there were 10 second year analysts when I joined and every single one of them had a PE job. 10 out of 10 that's which is pretty unheard of and so they were really collegial about it um had a bunch of materials that they'd put together themselves gotten from friends across the street you know think template models and good ways to frame your deals and walk through your deals things like that mm-hmm. that we could use to study i definitely worked with my other analysts and we studied together on the weekends and late at night when uh, you know all the other bankers had left um so yes it was collegial in that sense not every bank or group is like that by the way several other banks and groups you know it's uh, don't ask don't tell
0: right mm-hmm. like um, mine, yeah that was like what it was like in mine it was very tough yeah, it made it very uh, tough
1: <laughs> the turnover so high and all the senior bankers know that it's going on and they can't really stop it but at other banks in even uh, other banks and other groups within barclays it was definitely much more frowned upon when you had to like get up and leave for you know hours
0: at a time to do all these interviews and stuff like that so and, okay, great. And so in terms of the, um, so your specific group, it really helped that they were collegial. You kind of, it was understood that you were going to be out for a few hours. You didn't have to say, oh, I'm going to a doctor's appointment or whatever. It's like, it was cool just to say, hey, I have an interview. And they, they understood that.
1: Uh, I mean, you tried to not have to say yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> got, it. Um, got it. But yes, there were times where I had to go to like one of my associates or VPs and just be like, hey, look, I, I, I got to step out. I have like a three hour model test to go take. Like I'm going to be gone. Got it. And, that would happen
0: okay that's good to know and then specifically um how did that whole process go down just give us a little bit of, of information on like so the recruiters contacted you in, in october and then how did how did it proceed from there
1: sure so there's probably like you know seven or eight core recruiting firms that represent most of the uh lower to upper middle market all the way up to mega fund private equity firms that you know <clears throat> do their recruiting process on cycle and they're usually they usually have like either New York, Boston, or uh, San Francisco slash L.A. offices, so they're kind of like you know mainstream PE firms, if, if you will. Yep. Um, so for all the firms that participate in this on-cycle process, where they go fairly quickly, um, that means that they're going to be interviewing. At least for me, it was in you know the uh, the winter of that year. So they, the head of numbers start reaching out in October. You go meet with them. They meet with, you know, a bunch of other investment bank analysts who all have similar things to say, right? Cause you don't really have a lot of deal experience, um, if any. Um, mm-hmm. And you're kind of trying to frame like what type of private equity investing you want to do and why, right? Growth, venture, buyouts, um, specialty investing, like renewable energy or consumer technology,
0: right? Whatever it might be or generalist. How did you um, even decide to what you were going to say for those? Like, what was your strategy going into that? Because did you really yeah, care? Did you really like have a passion for LBOs over growth equity, or vice versa? Like, how did you even decide that?
1: Yeah, uh, for myself personally, mm-hmm. um, I uh, wanted to do more generalist private equity. I did not want to do the specific. I did not want to interview only for private equity firms that invested in the industry coverage group that I was in at Barclays. Um, so I wanted to expand and get a little bit more breadth of other of other industries. After all, how could you pick? what industry uh you're interested in want to do the next two to you know five years in at your private equity firm when you just started your investment banking job
0: right so
1: nice. um so i you know was pretty generalist and open-minded uh and i also knew i wanted to do buyouts uh leverage buyouts specifically versus growth equity or something special like fig or real estate um and i and i definitely didn't want to do venture or or even hedge fund. so i you asked how I decided. It was mostly just um, LBOs were what I knew, what I thought I was interested in, and a lot of the firms are buyout firms, right? There's far fewer firms that do growth equity. they you know, so the odds of getting a PE job are way higher if you stick to LBO in
0: New York, right? yes yeah, so you're just playing the odds, really. It's which is smart, and I mean, yes, it's still interesting. You knew LBOs, but you're playing the odds, which makes sense. That's exactly what what I was doing, you know, when I went through it. Um, I found it interesting. Yep, the work the work is interesting, but. I think I think that's a smart move. Not necessarily to be like, oh, I really want to really want to do growth equity. They're like, well, there's only two sh- <laughs> two pure growth equity shops. Though. Sorry. Um, anyway, so yeah. so yeah, continue on that whole path. So you start kind of uh, you're talking to recruiters, and then how quickly does it happen in terms of they they all of a sudden just start calling you and setting up, you know, these these there's cocktail a, uh, yeah, hours. So and process,
1: yeah, yeah. So the process is there's like a user specific weekend known as kickoff weekend mm-hmm. where um, one of the mega funds typically start the process and so one weekend they basically just decide, okay, like we're, we we want to start now like we want to start interviewing and they reach out to their respective uh, headhunter firm that represents them and they tell them on you know Thursday, Friday night, that headhunter reaches out to the people who will be getting the first round interview there, sometimes the private equity firm, Picks resumes that the headhunters give them. Sometimes the private equity firms let the headhunters dictate entirely who will be getting first round. It varies by firm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the mega fund that starts the process as a, you know, tell them they got to be here by 9 a.m. Saturday morning. The candidates who are chosen get the chance to accept that interview or not, assuming they accept. Uh, they go in, you know, 9 a.m. Saturday morning of that weekend, interview with three to five people, all in half hour to hour stints. They get called back for the modeling test late that afternoon. They'll get called back, and this model test is not a case study, not a take-home. You don't get a sim. It's typically a speed test where you get 75 minutes to uh, uh, to two hours, so 120 minutes, mm-hmm. where um, you have to build a quick LBO three three financial statements, debt you know, and pay down schedule and return schedule, mm-hmm. and it's judged usually for completeness and, and correctness versus like thought. If you get a, if you pass that, which is more of a check-the-box, you'll move to the final round where you'll have again three to five more interviews with more senior people across the firm. Um, offers are usually uh, picked by that night, so now you're at Sunday night, and they're communicated Monday morning um, with uh, 24 hours to accept or decline, aka they explode in 24 hours. That officially kicks off the process. Now all the other megaphones that heard about this start frantically moving. calling their <laughs> yeah.
0: Got it. Yeah, and so go it's it's go basically ahead. a game theory. It's just basically game theory where the first mega fund moves, and then it's all of a sudden everyone moves. Um, and You're everyone's that. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So I guess one question I have is in, in that process, where let's say you you accept the interview, obviously you go in and you, you know, you have that first round. What what's the drop approximately? Let's say for this, I know there's no typical mega fund, but say a typical mega fund, are they bringing in 30 people? Are they bringing in 10? Are they bringing in 50? How big is this process? Like, are they, for if, this
1: if round? their associate class for each associate class is mm-hmm. like, megaphones are usually like 8 to 12 associates, mm-hmm. they'll probably bring in 30 to 40 for first rounds.
0: Got it. They've already been kind of screened by the recruiter. And so it's, it's you know, so your, your chance of actually getting an offer isn't horrible at that stage if you've already made it in the door. Uh, so, yep. so you make it through the, the, from the first round to the modeling test in the afternoon, approximately what, they cut 50% off or a little less, a third of them?
1: Nope, that's about right. Maybe a little more, actually.
0: A little more. Okay. And then from the modeling test to the final round, approximately, how many people kind of bomb that thing and, and don't make it through? Uh, well, you know? again, since it's the first set of interviews of the entire process and
1: nobody's actually had the test yet, they've just been doing practicing, probably more people bomb this one then they bomb
0: the next ones one. later in their process <laughs> makes sense and the specific lbo modeling test that you're doing is it um you said three statement how how much do they want to see actual like levers and scenario is there any levers or scenarios how detailed are you getting or is it more just like here high level assumptions on revenue cogs you know whatever and getting to a, an ir quickly is that kind of the, the what they're checking or is it you know how pretty you're your debt waterfall schedule is, there? <laughs> yeah, much much more high
1: level assumptions for working capital drivers, revenue, COGS, EBITDA. Yep, no real sensitivity on anything. You know, pick a purchase price as multiple of EBITDA. Pick your capital structure in terms of how much leverage, how much uh, equity. Uh, build out the statements, build out the debt waterfall, build up the return schedule, and you know, make sure it's all formatted properly. You're done.
0: Yeah. So for some, I feel like for bankers, I mean, you know, it's probably pretty tough for an analyst who hasn't been in Excel for two years. I feel like when I did that, those LDL modeling tests, it was pretty easy for me at that point. Cause I was like, literally had been living in Excel for two years. Um, but yep. I can imagine somebody who's just three or six months on the job. It's actually pretty stressful. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, how did, how did you do? Did you feel like you, you had, you practiced beforehand? You had, you said you had some material, so you felt, you felt pretty good kind of uh, going in.
1: Yeah. I mean, countless hours of studying and practicing these exact tests yep. that leak and get out. Right. I mean, I, I had the Warburg Pincus test, and that's one that I practiced from. And I mm-hmm. had a bunch of similar other ones. And you just have to practice and practice so you get it right and make sure that you feel comfortable going into the interviews.
0: Yeah, that's before fair. They happen. That's fair. Great. So you you made it. You get the offer. Um, is this kind of were you given an interview in kind of the first meg in your year that the f- the first megaphone that kind of came out? Were you given one of those spots?
1: No, I was not. Uh-huh. Uh, the first interview I had was that Monday after Megafunk Weekend mm-hmm. uh, with an upper middle market firm. So think like
0: Onyx, Kohlberg, uh, Clayton, Dubway, and Rice. Got it. HRV, so, people like that. Got it. And so you, you go into that. How does that go for you? Um,
1: you know, there it was my first one, too. So the first one's always the hardest. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kept at it and uh, had a bunch of interviews with similar like-minded firms uh, all the way from, you know, 250 million dollar funds up to you know five billion
0: Mm -hmm. um and how did that was that week just just insane was that week you like you're just
1: well yeah you know it was over the next like uh uh, two and a half to three weeks but yes
0: insane got it okay and then approximately at what stage in that process did you get an offer and were you just like you knew hey if i get this i'm I'm gone or was it more of like hey this is exploding i don't know what to do um i have this no it was more uh
1: you take the first offer you get typically. I mean, mm-hmm. kudos to you. If you get multiple offers
0: and you're worried about like which one you should take, most people just get one and they take it. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. It's super competitive as you can see. <laughs> so that makes sense. So this has been really insightful. Just to kind of get a, a, a peek behind the curtain of, of what it's really like. Um, I think just giving the listeners that, that, um, perspective is really helpful. And so, um, what do you think could have helped you? I mean, it sounds like you were pretty prepared. You kind of did what you had to do. Um, anything you would tell your younger self or advice you give your younger self kind of looking back either to prep in college or something you would have done differently?
1: Sure. One thing I would have done absolutely differently is I would have not participated in that first wave of madness three to six months after I hit my investment banking job out of college. I would have waited till I was a second-year analyst and done it then when I had much more time to think about what types of firms I wanted to go to and why. Plus, I'd have deal experience, be better in Excel, all those things that you just mentioned that you have to prep for in a relatively short order.
0: And you don't think there's any kind of discrimination for people who don't make it that first year or that first wave?
1: Uh, well, if you're doing it you're if you do it your first year and you don't get anything, you can absolutely be perceived as damaged goods to the headhunters, which will not be good for you.
0: Got it. So you think almost the people who wait for that second year, that second round and say, well, I'm not really looking to jump yet. And they put in that at least full year, year plus, they're going to be more prepared. They're going to look better when they're compared against the first year. So is that kind of an idea? Yes, correct. Got it. Okay. I, I can see that. I, I It's interesting because personally, I would think that, as long as they know you, you were kind of turning them to that you were waiting and it was your choice, I guess it doesn't necessarily hurt your your image. Um, yes, correct. Great. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we we call it? Um, or any, any advice nope. you want to give them specifically around, um, you know, the bulge bracket life?
1: <laughs> uh, nothing in particular. Any, any mm-hmm. questions for me?
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, um, it sounds like, you have a few regrets, but nothing really major. I guess in terms of your next steps, are, are you planning to get an MBA? What's, what do you think in terms of um, coming from middle market private equity, what, you, what your next options are?
1: Sure, uh, fortunately I was promoted from associate to senior associate and there's a path for me to move up without the MBA and I'm likely gonna stick to that path, so not pursue an MBA.
0: Nice, yeah, I think a lot of people think I'm gonna go get the MBA and come back and then sometimes your seat's gone. So it's not necessarily the worst option. Uh,
1: that happens very often.
0: Yeah, so not a not a bad idea if you can if you like the work and you're you got a great fund, staying put and just putting in putting your head down can be a great career. So, anyways, WSO mentor, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. dot Until next time.